thanks, Ellie, for uh, reading that passage. I'm not sure what version uh, it is, but um, I certainly will be referring to, to the NIT later on. Uh, thanks, Gilly, for your uh, invitation, and welcome. Again, it's, it's always a privilege to come along here. Um, even um, as I think back to the blessing that CE has been to to my family, uh, I obviously never was here as, as a young person, but my, my two children have been, and um, it's been such a blessing. So I want to thank Gilly and all the leaders again on behalf of my family, and also my church out in Rich Hill, because we've received such blessing uh, from, from you guys. So thank you again. Have I got the picture here? Yep. Good. Excellent. Right. Reading Ecclesiastes, um, one commentator says, is like standing under a cold shower. I don't know what it's like in your house. Um, maybe you have electric shower, so it's always going to be warm. But sometimes, the last person to get the shower in the morning get the cold one. Um, and therefore, when, when there was four of us at home, we used to always fight to get in first. And if Harry got in first, well then there was no water for anybody. Everybody got cold shower. Reading Ecclesiastes is not just standing under a cold shower, it's an icy cold shower. And if you expect something nice and warm and easy, then you're going to be disappointed. We're talking about blunt, icy truth. Blunt, icy reality. The book is full of sayings like this. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And the writer's trying to tell us that life, even with God in it, can be very tough. Life is hard, hard work. And I'm sure those of you who are entering in, into teenage years and, and beyond are beginning to see that in reality. It's full of routine. In fact, often it's downright boring. And life hurts. There are many times you, you, you realize you're not in control. And sometimes you look around and you realize, or you ask the question, is anyone in control? Because there's so much confusion and there's so much chaos. So I suppose the question is, in how do you um, live? In, um, okay, take it again. I mean, how do we live uh, in, in a broken world? Yeah, oh yeah, it's right in front of me. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> I need glasses uh, or binoculars or something. Um, I mean, how do we live in this broken world with broken people and broken relationships, broken hopes, broken dreams? How do we live? Well, you can escape, can't you? Deaden the pain of living in a broken world. And Gilly's already made reference to it at the beginning of the meeting this evening. You party as hard as you can. Entertain yourself to death. Live with, in a kind of false Make-believe world instead of living in the real world. Drink up, take drugs. Just numb yourself. Numb yourself. Because the pain of living in this broken world is just too great. It's called escapism. Or I suppose you can you can go the wisdom route. Listen to the wisdom of God. Follow the wisdom of God. That actually is in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Listen to him and learn from him. That's how to live in this broken, sinful, cursed world. Ecclesiastes 7 uh, is another session in the company of this wonderful teacher, philosopher, who tried all kinds of answers, all the kinds of answers that people tonight 
in our world, in our time, in our community, they're trying. And the vast majority of those answers that Solomon tried were wrong answers. That's why he could write this book. That's why he could tell us the truth. He was rich and he was powerful. He tried money, he tried power, he tried sex, he tried human wisdom. But in the end, he discovered actually, God had all the answers and God had all the wisdom. So why did he go looking elsewhere? That's really what the book is, is trying to get to. Solomon is a teacher and he's looking for pupils. He's, he's looking for pupils who will listen, pupils who will learn. And tonight he's trying to speak to us and say, come on, are you going to listen? Are you going to learn? Are you, are, are you going to try and escape? Like the vast majority of people in the world do, are you going to seek wisdom? That's the choice. That's the choice before us tonight. Do you know what the sad reality is? Some of us here tonight, in this next year or the next ten years of our lives, we will choose the escape route. Dead in the pain of an empty life with all kinds of other things. That's, that's the choice you will make. You don't realize it now, but that's the choice you will make. Some of you will go the wisdom route because you will follow Jesus with heart, soul, mind and strength. And you'll live. You will really live. So decisions that are made in your heart, even sitting in a meeting like this, now, will determine your future. Do you realize that? Tonight, we have got a choice. Escape into the answers of the broken world. The very answers that actually cause the brokenness. Or will we go and follow the wisdom of God as it's given to us? Wisdom, escapism, whatever route you take, will lead you to different destinations. So the bad news is you cannot avoid death. You cannot avoid suffering and pain. You cannot avoid sin and the effects of sin because that's the kind of world you live in. It's a world where people die. It's a world where people suffer. It's a world of sin. So this wise preacher, teacher, philosopher Solomon, he he bombards us in this section with lots and lots of proverbs and wise teaching about death, about grief, about mourning, about pain, about sin. And he's trying to capture our attention. He said, listen, will you learn from me? Will you learn from the mistakes I've made? I've been through all of this. I know what I'm talking about. I want you, I really want you to uh, learn, choose wisely. Now, we have six sections here. The first one is um, very brief. It's just the first half of the first verse. The wise person, would you believe it, seeks reputation, not luxury, or reputation over luxury. Now, if you have lots of money, Kelly, you have lots of money, haven't you? You're going to invest money. What would you invest in now, tonight, if you had the opportunity? What would you buy if you could, as a really sound investment for the future? They buy a flat in London. They are. There's the answer. Um, some people might buy gold. I mean, gold is a kind of commodity some people buy uh, if, you're, if, you, if you want to invest money. Flat in London, good idea. Back in those days, you know what they invested money in? Perfume. But weird. But that's what they did. You may remember the story in, in the New Testament where the woman poured 
out a, a little bottle of perfume onto the feet of Jesus. And those who were looking on were absolutely disgusted because this was a valuable family heirloom. And what was she doing? Wasting it on the feet of Jesus. What Solomon is saying, a good name is better than fine perfume. He's saying that reputation is of greater value than perfume or any other modern luxury like a flat in London or a gold bar. It's better to be good than to smell good. Now that's not an excuse for you not to wash or to use deodorant because we don't really want to smell your, your B.O. We really don't. But if you have a choice between a good reputation or smelling good, pick the good reputation. That's what Solomon is saying. Here. That, that's a, a wise thing to do. Now, of course, both are connected with, would you believe it, funerals. Uh, a good name and fine perfume. The perfume would be used to embalm a dead body. Um, we use modern chemicals now, but that's what they used in those days. I suppose to, that's disgusting, I know, but to, to cloak over the, the smell of the decaying body. The good name or the reputation was a tribute that would have been made at a funeral service. So in other words, Solomon's saying, leave a legacy so that people will talk about your good name at your funeral. That's wisdom. Because there's little point in you spending the whole of your life accumulating a lot of things and when you die, you leave behind a whole heap of designer clothes, a, the top of the range car, a fancy house, maybe in London, lots of gold bars, lots of luxuries like perfume. Not much point in leaving all that behind if, if you've left behind a bad name, a bad reputation. A good name is better than perfume. Better that someone could stand up at the day of your funeral and say, you know what? He or she loved Jesus and followed Jesus every day of their lives. They were true. They were loyal. They were honest. Rather than people say, you know what? Wasn't he very rich? Didn't he leave a lot behind? You see, we can escape into chasing after luxuries. That's what we can do. And, and you can give your life to say, Yo, I want, I want, I want to get my best grades, so I can get the best degree, so I can get the best job, so I can get lots of money, so I can buy lots of luxuries. Solomon says, hey, no, no, no. That's foolishness. That's escapism. That doesn't work. I tried it, he says. It doesn't work. Be wise. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your eternity. The second section is actually... The wise person values sorrow over laughter. Um, you see that right at the very beginning, or the second half of verse 1. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. It's like Solomon sometimes sounds a bit like killjoy, but he's not really. He, he, he says, listen, in other parts, and you've probably read these, he says, enjoy life, enjoy food, enjoy family, but remember one day you're going to die. And even if... <laughs> I suppose, relatively speaking, you're at the start of your lives. That's good. But remember, one day you're going to die. You really can't say a lot about the day we're born. 
or any child is born. I mean, I, I've been in hospital many times to see lots of babies, first day, second day, three days old. What do you say? Ah. Oh. That, that's about as much as you can do, isn't it? You can just hope to pray that their lives will be filled with blessings, the blessing of God. You've got to set, set it. But actually, on the day of death, whether it be 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 90 years, as you look back, there's lots you can say about that person. See, looking into a coffin on the last day is much more instructive than looking into a coffin on the first day. That's what Solomon's saying. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. What Solomon is saying here is that death is a great teacher. Especially about our mortality. Because at a funeral, can I tell you, I do lots of funerals, that's part of my job. I hear lots of people asking all kinds of questions. What if it was me that had died? Is there such a thing as heaven? Is salvation real? That's what, that's the sort of question people ask at times of death and bereavement. Let me tell you, as a minister, I, I very often find that every time there's a funeral, invariably people will think spiritually. Maybe they've never done it before, but they'll think it then. That's what Solomon's saying here. The day of death is better than the day of birth. Why? Because it teaches us about what's important. See, the world escapes into all kinds of other answers, like laughter and parties and luxuries. They chase these things. But the wise person says, Ah, I can learn from a funeral. I can learn from sorrow. I can learn from death. Most people get it wrong about life and about death. Um, most people think that this is the land of the living and when we die, we go to the land of the dying. Most people think that this is the land of the living and when we die, we go to the land of the dying. It's the other way around. This is the land of the dying and when we die, we go to the land of the living. That's why the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take us to heart. When you go into a house of bereavement, or, or, or what we call awake, then you learn about what's important. But you'll see here that actually the world chases after other things. Verse 2. I suppose Solomon really saying is that death is a great evangelist. Because death reminds us of what's really important. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take us to heart. Sometimes actually, I do it, when I preach at the funeral, I preach not very one verse. But you notice what the world does. It escapes into things like laughter. Instead of learning about life and death, they just joke about it. Verse 3. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Comedy, satire. People joke about sin. People joke about death. That's how they deal with it. Or they skip into parties. Verse 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. And we've what Gilly was talking about tonight. There are people roaming around their streets tonight, possibly because they're too young to have houses to go to. That'll be soon. And what are we looking for? 
they're looking for escape. They're looking for all kinds of false answers. Maybe some of your friends are at houses of pleasure tonight. Maybe part of you would like to be there. Or maybe you want to go there later. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's going to be next month or next year. You have a choice to make. Are you going to chase after that escape answer? Or people skip into songs, verse 5. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to songs of fools. People seek therapy in uh, listening to pop psychology as it's presented in our songs, in our popular songs, pop songs. Pop songs, agony ants. They're the things that are, people are looking to to get some kind of meaning and direction in life that doesn't work. Better to have your sins pointed out and to be entertained. That's what Solomon is saying. Do you ever light a fire? And use kindling sticks. They tend to make a lot of noise. But they don't provide a lot of heat. But they get the fire going, don't they? They get the, the other pieces of coal or sticks burning up. That's what he's saying in verse 6. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. Laughter is lots of noise, isn't it? Oh, let's all smile. Let's all be happy. But there's no laughing help. There's no laughing left. It doesn't work. See, the wise person actually values sorrow over laughter because sorrow teaches us more about life and about truth than laughter does. But you have a choice. What, what route are you going to go down? The wise person accepts restrictions rather than foolishness, 7 to 10. All around us, there's restraint and there's rashness. And they, they live side by side uh, in, in life. And there's all kinds of influences. Let me tell you, again, um, those of us who are older here tonight have been through the University of Life and, and we know what, what we're talking about. Can I tell you what's going on in your lives right now? There are all kinds of influences seeking to pervert your hearts. There's all kinds of influences wanting to destroy your faith. Yes, that's, that's the aim, to destroy your faith, to give you the false answers of the broken world around us. That's what's going on. There's a battle going on in your hearts and minds all the time. Therefore, we need to accept the restrictions that God calls us to, rather than the foolishness of the world. And, and you'll see there, there are four. The first one is basically, don't be greedy. Verse 7. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The love of money corrupts. It's a false answer. Of course we need money. I'd like to have more money than less money. And probably now, actually, at this stage of my life, with my daughter married, and just one other in the home for, well, to know along, I probably, Pauline and I, have never had as much money as we have right now. I'm just thinking about that this week. Probably we've never had as much money as we have right now. But I'm any happier? You see, the love of money can lead us into doing dumb things, really dumb things, like stealing, like bribery, like corruption, like extortion. That's a false answer. And you've got to learn the restriction of God upon that kind of area of your life rather than the foolishness of the world. Don't be impatient, verse 8. The end of the matter is better than the beginning, and patience is better than pride. 
You've got to learn to endure, to wait, to pause, and to learn to be humble as you wait upon God. We haven't time to look at all of these verses, but I'll, I'll rattle on. Don't be angry, verse 9. That's another restriction, because it's easy to be angry, isn't it? To express your anger. God says, no, no, just wait. Calm yourself. A willing restriction to God's will rather than acting in foolishness. That's how to be wise. And then verse 10, don't moan. Why? Do not say, why were the old days better than these? Or it's not wise to ask those questions. You old people particularly, and I'm getting to that stage where we used to, we talk about the, the good old days. You know, the good old days when things were better. Guess what? They weren't much better. Don't moan. It's very easy to complain about people who live in the past. Learn from, react to the past and then the present. You want to be wise. That's what you've got to do. Here's another thing. Um, the wise person desires wisdom over wealth, 11 and 12. Um, there's lots of opposites up to now, but actually here are two things that uh, Solomon says we can actually enjoy together. Wisdom and wealth. If you have both, you're rich indeed. Both provide benefits, you'll notice there. Um, shelter, um, protection, uh, all kinds of lovely benefits. It's nice to have wealth and wisdom, but they're not equal. Notice what he says there in verse 12. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter, but the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom preserves those who have it. Wisdom is superior. So, it's good to have wealth. It's good to have wisdom and wealth, but if you only going to have one, then take wisdom. If I were to offer you tonight £10,000 or wisdom, which would you take? If you think wisdom, then you have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. Solomon said, wisdom is better. We'll march on. The wise person embraces trust over defiance. Verses 13 and 14. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about the future. What Solomon's saying here is the wise person trusts in the sovereignty and the design and the control of God. And he says life is like a mixture, a kind of mixed salad of, of good times and bad times, easy times and hard times, straight roads, crooked roads, Motorway driving, country lane driving, it's all a mixture of all kinds of um, please, you're putting me off, I don't know if you're putting anybody else off you can you please listen? Thanks. God gives both that's what he's saying here in verse fourteen. When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider this God has made the one as well as the other. Trust him. What's going on in your life right now? I don't know. Maybe it's easy. Well, thank him. Maybe it's hard. Trust him. 
What happens is when it's good, we tend to take that. When it's hard, we tend to defy God. We get angry with God. We doubt God. Each day brings different blessings. But take it all, all of it, the good and the bad, as from him. By the way, why does God ordain it this way? Why is it a mixture of good times and bad times, easy and hard? Why? To drive us to him and to drive us to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, Jesus on the cross, he was the one who trusted the sovereign will of God. He did not curse God when he hung on the cross. He did not question God when he hung on the cross. He did not defy God when he was on the cross. So we could be changed. I'm forgiven. Whatever he has for you, trust him. Don't defy him. That's what a wise person does. And then, lastly, it's a wee bit longer, this last one. Um, the wise person chooses godliness, not wickedness. That's 15 right through to, to 25. These, these are difficult verses. Um, but in the first section, verse 15 through to 17, this is Solomon thinking as an unbeliever. Right? This is back in the bad old days when he was trying all kinds of false answers. He's an earthbound man when he makes these statements. And he's basically saying in verse 15, he says, The wicked seem to be as happy as and live as long as the righteous, so why be righteous? In the meaningless of, of uh, I hardly read that anymore. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. So he says, uh, if, if you could die at any time, why be too righteous? Could you only destroy yourself? Verse 16. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? And the other side, why be too foolish and wicked, because you may die early. Verse 17, do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Now remember, these are his pre-godly days. And he said, basically, avoid extremes. Don't be too righteous, don't be too evil. Kind of go, kind of, like a mediocrity route. You know, down the middle. Not too good, not too bad. Not too wise, not too foolish. Guess what, folks? That's exactly where so many Christians end up. Isn't that right? Good, polite, kind, religious, moral. Not too good, not too bad, kind of in the middle. Not sold out for Jesus. And in our world, we have many, many people and they might even say they're atheists or agnostics and they're good and they're kind and they're nice and they're decent. They're well-mannered. They're generous. They're loyal. But they're unsaved. Don't fall into that trap. Verse 18, things change. It is good to grasp the one and let, the, let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Now, this is important because the fear of God is code for salvation. That's wisdom. And look at the results. Verse 19. He says, Someone who lives in the fear of God is much wiser than ten powerful rulers. You see the thing there? Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. 
In other words, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're the only one in your family or the only one in your class or the only one in your college or university or wherever you happen to be, you actually can be wiser than ten, ten others. Ten of your teachers, if you're a non-Christian, you're wiser than them. Because you know Christ. Christ is in you. That makes all the difference. Let me just pause for a moment here because I think it's very important that you understand that when you have Christ and when you have a Christian worldview, when you have a biblical worldview, you have far greater wisdom than there is out there in the world. So don't be fooled by what you hear in your classrooms or, or from your peers. Don't be taken in and certainly don't be intimidated by it. Because what you have in Christ is greater than anything that's in the world. The Christian view of the world, the Christian view of truth, the Christian view of salvation is 100% right and 100% true. Now, wisdom, of course, doesn't make anyone perfect. Verse 20, indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Only Jesus, of course, is the sinless one. Only in him can we be wise. Verse 21, be careful who you listen to. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Again, don't be intimidated by what people say to you, particularly if they are foolish, particularly if they are non-Christian. They lack wisdom. You can't help hearing them, but notice what they say. Do not pay attention to them. Why? Because they have nothing to say to you, really. We listen to bad people too often. Foolish people too often. Verse 22 gives us the reason why we should do that. For you know in your own heart that, that there are many times you yourself have cursed others. In other words, you can be foolish too. You can say wrong things. So if you, who have Christ, can say wrong things, what do you expect from somebody who doesn't know Christ? Godliness is what we need. And verses 23 to 25. Solomon basically says here, he says, I've tried it all. I've tried all the folly, all the wickedness, like no one else alive. If I had the time and I had the power and I had the money to indulge in all kinds of false answers, all of it was a waste of time. Every single bit of it was a waste of time. It's truly wickedness, truly folly, he said. And he was humble enough to say, I got it wrong. And now I want to get it right. So that takes us right back to, uh, there they are, seek reputation over luxury, value, sorrow over laughter, accept restrictions over foolishness, desire wisdom over wealth, and embrace trust over defiance, godliness over wisdom. That takes us right back to the, the beginning, isn't it? How do you live in a broken world? Well, you have a choice. Escapism. Deaden the pain of the empty life. That's why and I, I, I sense that Gilly's really troubled by some of the folks that you probably know and are very fond of, and where they're going, how they're wasting their lives. They're trying to escape. They're having the pain of life. That's what they're trying to do. That's why they, they, they get down to the bottle or in a simple lifestyle. That's what they think is going to satisfy them. It doesn't work. Or wisdom. Following the way of life. Hi. 
How can I avoid escapism? How can I embrace wisdom? That's key, isn't it? The answer is in a person. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus rescues us from the meaninglessness of life. Jesus rescues us from frustration and the pointlessness and the purposelessness of life. Jesus is the only one who can rescue us by removing God's curse that is on us because of our sin. He shed his precious blood. A lamb without blemish or beach. And then people like me and you to know him, to know wisdom. And Jesus restores to us a meaningful life. Meaning, purpose, value. Now you can go the route of deadening the pain of life. Or you can go the route of following the way to life in Christ. Can I say to you, go the second way and do it when you're young and keep doing it until you're very, very old. You will know life in all of this. Life now, life everlasting. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Lord, the temptations around us are so many and so powerful and we are intimidated by this broken world. We're scared of this broken world. Troubled. Hurt by it. As we see the world destroying people we know and love. As we see the world in a sense trying to seduce us and attract us and, and destroy us and our faith. We're in a battle. We know that. And we thank you for Solomon. We thank you for his honesty, for for all the experiences that he had and how he, by your Holy Spirit, was inspired to, to write this book and give it to us so that we might be led to the wisdom that is in Christ. And we pray for each other tonight as we battle on in this broken world. And we pray that we will learn the lesson and learn it well and continue to learn it. So we will save ourselves from many a heart, heartache, many a trouble and a pain. Bless us, Lord. Lead us by your Spirit to Jesus. And in him we will find life. He is the way, the truth and the life. No one finds the Father. Except for him. We thank you for Jesus.